How's everybody doing this morning? Gosh, I need to, I need, and I said it last week, but I'll say it again. I am, I'm doing the best that I can to turn the information dial from like 11 down to about 8 or 9, something that's palatable and so that I don't have to talk a thousand miles an hour. But I'm always so excited to get up here and share with you guys what I think God has put on my heart and the things that he's shown me through scripture. And I think this week is no different. So just so you know, every word I say and everything I tell you, I will be making a conscious effort to slow down and, and just, right, right. If you have seatbelts on your, on your seats, you can go ahead and put them on. But it's, it's just exciting, the things that I think the Lord is showing me as we go through this process. And, and I'm hoping you guys will like the message today. We are, so we are um, six weeks from Easter. Easter's coming up in six weeks. It'll be Resurrection Sunday, and uh, we've got some really cool things planned. Some of the things we have planned are things that we haven't done in our entire history as Jubilee Fellowship, certainly, and we're going to start changing some of those things. Some of those things involve tradition. Tradition starting with, like, say, this last Wednesday, we had Ash Wednesday. We've never, I don't think we've even talked about it at Jubilee, much less done any kind of a celebration and, and explained what it's about. So we did a nice little sweet Ash Wednesday service here with uh, Trailhead, the other church that comes here, and we kind of partnered with them. Um, we're going to be talking about Good Friday. We're going to be talking about Palm Sunday. We're going to be talking about all these kind of things as we get closer to it. And I think it's important to understand that just because the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt do this, some of these things are traditions that are nice to be able to connect to our past, to be able to take us all as a church, as a, as a big church, and go all the way back to the beginnings, way back to the beginnings of the Christian church, when, when we were known as the way, right? And we were followers of Jesus first and foremost. And all of these denominational things, like we don't do it like that, and we don't do it like this, and we don't celebrate that, and we don't do that, all those things weren't really a problem. Because we were just all doing our best to follow Jesus. And then human nature gets involved and, hey, we don't, we don't sprinkle, we dunk, and all these things come in. But I think it's important that we understand these traditions and that when, when it's meaningful and when it's appropriate, that we come together and we just kind of to, to celebrate these traditions, right? So that's what we're going to kind of do. One of those traditions is Stations of the Cross, Again, another thing that I don't think we've ever really spoken about at Jubilee Fellowship, at least not as long as I've been a part of the church, and, and I think it's important. It's, it's got some very significant meanings, and just because it's not something that we've done doesn't mean that there's not a lot to gain through this, okay? And so the last two weeks, we've talked about the stations. I kind of talked about, set up what they were. Uh, we did station one. We did station two. This week, we're going to go into... Station three. So just a quick setup as far as what the stations are, okay? Most of you, not all of you, but most of you have at least an understanding of the basic story where Pontius Pilate judged Jesus, okay, and sentenced him to be crucified. Jesus then had to carry his own cross, as was the tradition if you were sentenced to be crucified. You had to carry your own cross. They made him carry that to the hill, a mountain called Golgotha, where he was ultimately crucified. That pathway that he took, there's a very specific route that he walked through the old town of Jerusalem. That pathway is called the Via Dolorosa, okay, which, which literally trans, translates as the sorrowful way, okay, aptly named the sorrowful way. 
But along that way, so the entire event, obviously, is incredibly significant. But along the way, on the Via Dolorosa, there are stations along there where especially significant, shall we say, things happened. Okay? And these are places that have been delineated out in, in Israel, and, and a lot of times churches will do stations of the cross and you do different things, but they actually translate to real places in a real city, real town, where a real person went through these events. And that's when we do stations of the cross in whatever context you do it in, that's what we're celebrating, and that's what we're trying to, to, uh, to pray over and and understand really at its base level to try and understand what our Savior went through for us. Because again, I don't believe that Easter is a one-day thing, okay? The actual day, yes, is, is one day. But the things that lead up to it and that event and the entire passion of Jesus is much more than you can do justice to, I think, cramming it into one day. So that's why we're going through all of the stations. Now, if we could show an image this week is station three. Here's a picture of station three. Sorry, the picture is just a little bit, uh, a little bit dark. But what I think is, is neat about this picture is just you can see there are people standing around. There's a guy just leaning against the wall here, you know, people on their phones walking around. This is a real place. These places and these things that Jesus went through happened at a real place that's still there. And you can go visit it, and you can stand right in the place where Jesus went through these things, where he endured these things on our behalf. And so this week, you can see right up here, there is a, a little disc up there that says Station 3. Station 4 is actually right next to it. But for now, we're focusing. It's great that the sun is on it. That's our focus. Station number 3. If you could show me the next slide here real quick. This is actually a close-up of that area. It's the Armenian Catholic Patriarchate. Okay, and what that means is this is actually, an, it started out as a convent, it's a, it's a monastery now, but it's actually got the carving, the relief up there of Jesus uh, collapsing under the weight of the cross. And again, this is some place that you can go and you can visit it. Now, I want to take just a second and explain a little bit, because a lot of people don't kind of understand how Jerusalem, the old town at least, is set up. This, you can see where it says Armenian Catholics. Jerusalem, the old town, I'm, I'm going to mostly talk about just the, the, the old city of Jerusalem within the walls, okay, is divided into four quarters, okay? And they call it quarters. They're not geographically equal. Some are bigger than others and, and certainly population bigger than others. But they call them quarters because they're significant little enclaves of different groups of people. So there is the Christian quarter. There's the Jewish quarter. There's the Armenian quarter. And then there is the Muslim quarter, okay? So all four quarters have coexisted inside the walls of Jerusalem for well over a 1,000 years, okay? It was roughly, I think, about 400 or so A.D. when the Armenians actually came. That's when the, the Christian religion became the official religion of the Armenian region, Okay, and then they actually sent monks to Jerusalem to establish a monastery. That became a convent, then back to a monastery. So it's been a number of things, but it's been Armenian. So there's been an Armenian presence there uh, ever since the 4th century or 3rd century, I guess, technically. Um, but so these four quarters are not by any means equal, as I said, geographically or especially population-wise. Let me give you kind of a rundown of the population of these areas. So in the Jewish quarter, OK, 
okay? There are roughly about 3,000 Jews who, who live permanently in the Jewish quarter. There are about 800 or so Armenians that live in the Armenian quarter. Again, geographically, it's a little bit smaller. Um, there are about 5,600 Christians living in the Christian quarter, okay? But here's the big one that I want you to know. The Muslim quarter has approximately 27,000 Muslims living there. So in the old city of Jerusalem, which you consider as a, as a Jewish centerpiece, right, of the Jewish and the Israeli culture, the vast majority are Muslims that live there. And so when you hear things about the Israelis are not good neighbors, the Israelis are antagonistic against the, the Muslims and against the Arabs, and, they're, and they're just, they just need to, to be better neighbors, and they just need to give away more of their territory, and they just need to share more. What you need to understand is they're already doing this. Okay, vastly outnumbered, they provide government services, they provide um, you know, city services, water and utilities and all these sorts of things to the Muslim quarter. They provide military protection. They provide police. They provide everything for the safety of the Muslims who are in the Muslim quarter. Now, if you look at pictures typically of Israel, so the, the orange in the letters kind of popped a little bit. It's actually more of a muted red. I don't know why I did that. But the, the colors of the stones... Uh, are that kind of a tan stone, kind of the color of your chairs. They call that Jerusalem stone there. And everything in the entire city is made of that Jerusalem stone, okay? It's all, it's like a covenant-controlled city almost, you know? Everything is the same color, except when you go to the Muslim quarter and the centerpiece of the Muslim quarter, if you've ever seen pictures of the old town of Jerusalem, it's this giant blue mosaic tile building with this incredible golden dome on top that looks extremely out of place, okay? But that's the Dome of the Rock, um, which is built on the Temple Mount, and there's a lot of history that goes along with that. The Temple Mount uh, is where the first and second temples stood, okay? It's also historically the place where, uh, where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, okay? It's the place where uh, Jewish culture believes that that's where God took the dust to form Adam, Okay, so a lot of incredibly significant things happened in that area, uh, and the Muslims have built their, their mosque right on top of that spot, and in fact, right now, they're not letting anybody else come in. Sometimes they allow tours in there, but for the most part, they don't. So why do I tell you all this? I just tell you all this because I want you to understand that in the media and in the world generally, you'll hear over and over again how Israel just needs to give up this space or give up that space or bend more or be less rigid or be a better neighbor. And guys, they're already doing that. They're already doing that and then some. A very, very small country and everybody wants to continue to chip away at this small country. And, and the Israeli government... Uh, the Jewish culture is already being incredibly welcoming and, and opening to this, okay? So that's already happening. But I just want to explain that because when you see Armenian, uh, and sometimes you hear Armenian quarters and different things, just so that you have an understanding of what that is. Again, just a, a shout-out. Next year, Gabe and I are already starting to, uh, to make plans for a DCC trip to Israel as a group uh, sometime next year. We'll see how that all falls together. But at some point, we want to do that. And so I just want you to have a good background of, of what you're going to be seeing and the importance of doing that. So on to the message. 
We're going to talk about station three, okay, now that you have kind of an understanding of where that all came from. Um, this area has always been disputed because of its significance. And as far as a Christian, if you're, if you're a Christian and you look at significance, there's nothing more significant than the stations along the Via Dolorosa. So first week, two weeks ago, we talked about station one. The scripture for that was Mark 15, 15, which reads, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Okay, that's Jesus accepting his judgment from Pilate. Then week two, last week, the scripture was John, 17, John 19, verse 17. It says, they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Okay, so that's where we are. That's where we left off last week. Jesus has been beaten to within an inch of his life. He's losing blood. He's losing actual flesh off of his body, and he has been forced to carry the cross. Now, in the, in the picture, you see, he's, they actually show the entire cross there. Really, what happened historically is you would carry the cross beam. Okay, the vertical part was already up on the mountain. It was already set in the dirt, and you would carry the cross beam, but it was a big, heavy beam. Okay, and he was carrying that at this time. And so that's where we leave off, and we come to then the scripture for station three. Okay, if we could throw that up on the screen, there it is. It says, they pressed into service. Now, they being the Roman guards. Okay, the Roman guards who are being tasked with actually walking Jesus up there. And, and you got to think, okay, they're not going to carry this. It's Jesus' job. He's, he's the one who's been condemned. He is supposed to carry this cross. But through his blood loss, through his weakness of being beaten, he's actually not in his flesh. He's not capable of carrying it, and he collapses at this point. So the guards are saying, okay, we need to, uh, let's get on with it. We need to get him up to the hill and get him, this is just their job, right? And they're trying to, to get it done here. So they pressed into service, a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Okay, there's so much significant in that scripture that I want to share with you here today. Now, I've read that many, many times, as of maybe some of you, you've read that. And you just go, okay, Jesus collapsed. They had this guy help him carry up. And I've never really thought it through, I'll be honest with you, never really thought it through. Why, why do they go to all the trouble of mentioning his name? Okay, all of the synoptic gospels, all, that's all the first three at least, mention Simon of Cyrene by name. And then this one actually mentions his children, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Nothing happens in Scripture that's not meant to be there. There's nothing that ends up in Scripture that isn't important or significant in some way. And so I started to look at this, and it was very interesting what I found. First of all, um, let me tell you a little bit about Simon. Okay, we'll get to his kids later. Simon of Cyrene, that's all you know, Simon of Cyrene. You don't even necessarily know his last name or, or much about him, but there are some things that we know about what he did later or through his sons did later. There's some things we know about the region. And so here's what we know. Simon of Cyrene, okay, Cyrene is an area in northern Africa. Okay, it's in northern Africa. It sits where Libya is right now, okay? So he's, he's traveled from northern Africa to Jerusalem, and he finds himself here in Jerusalem. Okay, now this region, um, it says coming from the country, which, infer, which refers to 
um, the, the specific region of Cyrene that he came from, which is basically known for farming. It's known for agriculture. Okay, so through this, we can infer that Simon came from northern Africa, traveled to Jerusalem. So here we have, if you picture this, basically a farm boy. Okay, he comes and he's traveling to the big city at that point, which is Jerusalem. Now, he didn't take the bus. He didn't take a train. He didn't, you know, take the red eye. He didn't. This was a difficult journey. He had to walk it or maybe on a donkey or an ox that he rode. We don't know. Maybe being a farmer, maybe he had some oxen and he could ride and he could ride there. But it was a long journey across deserts and across a long way to get here. He was coming to the big city for the Passover celebration. That's why he would have been there. And during Passover, people came from all over the region to come there to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, the very, very holy and significant city for the Jews, even all the way back then. So he travels all the way to get there. And he's standing by the side of the road. You know, he was, so he would have been a Jew, again, coming all there. And again, he's just kind of in the big city checking out all the sights. Now, he would have seen all this commotion going on. Like, what's happening, okay? He sees all these people coming down the road. He hears people yelling and screaming. And, and so he goes up, says he was just a passerby. Okay, he wasn't there for anything significant. He just happened to be there. And he's all of a sudden in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the Roman guards, it says, uh, they pressed into service, which means he was just standing there, and the Roman guard said, you, grab this, when Jesus collapsed and couldn't carry it anymore. Now, something interesting about pressing into service, that word, uh, that phrase there actually uh, in Greek actually translates into the word compelled, compelled. And that's actually a legal term that they had back then. See, the Romans having, being the conquerors of this region and any region that the Romans conquered, they were, a Roman citizen was actually allowed to compel any citizen of any of the other countries or places that they were into service just by their authority of being a Roman, especially being a Roman guard, they could compel them to give us your house. We need a place for our guards to sleep. Give us your house or give us your service or give us your crops or or whatever it is. You were legally entitled to compel somebody to do that. Just a quick flashback back in Matthew when, when Jesus is teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. There's a section in there where he says, if they ask you to go a mile, go two. Some of you remember that? That very reference there is to being compelled, meaning if a, if a Roman citizen or Roman guard compels you to do something, which is their legal right, don't just do the minimum. It says if they compel you to do this, do more. Anyway, that's where that word compel, and it's the same reference here. So they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene. So here's... An interesting thing about this, too, is it also mentions that his sons, okay, his sons, Rufus and Alexander. Now, at the time that this occurred, not the time it was written, at the time it occurred, nobody would have known who Simon or Alexander or Rufus was, okay? They were, they were essentially just, you know, bumpkins from the farm region who came into town, okay? They weren't really anybody at this time. The reason they're written down is because this gospel actually wasn't penned until a little while after these events. And by that time, 
all three of these men had done something very significant. And so that's what I want to talk about here just a little bit. So Alexander and Rufus actually became very well-known, or I guess medium well-known, disciples of Jesus. They were some of the earliest. If you look in Acts and in Romans, Alexander and Rufus are both mentioned by name as being some of the early disciples of Christ. So very soon after these events that are going on here, they became disciples of Christ. Now remember, they are Jews at this time. So before I get into how this all occurred, I want you to put yourselves in Simon's shoes. If you can, just think about what it would have been like to be Simon at that point. Okay, you're in there, you're in town, you're just, you're minding your own business. Okay, you've come in for the Passover and you've got your plans of what you want to do. Maybe you want to do some shopping, maybe you wanted to look around, who, whatever it is that you had to do. And you find yourself pressed into service, something that you didn't want. You didn't ask for this. You didn't want it. You were just, again, wrong place at the wrong time. And they grabbed you and, and said, do this. Probably what was going through his mind is, can, any, can anybody else do this? And he's trying to blend into the background. But the Roman soldiers, they pressed him into service. And they said, you grab that and go. So he didn't really have a choice. He just had to do it. So think about how he would have felt at that moment. Okay, here's Jesus. He's beaten. He's bloody. He's collapsing under the weight of the cross. And Simon has to go and grab this cross, this cross which was probably drenched in blood. It smelled like blood. Anybody ever smell what blood smells like? It probably smelled like a man who had been beaten and imprisoned and spat on. Okay, so this was a very visceral experience for him to grab this. And he probably had to either lift it off or take it from Jesus, which means he may well have had physical contact with Jesus' bruised and battered body. And so he takes that cross, he hefts it up onto his shoulders, and he starts to walk. How would he have felt? How would you have felt in that situation? Now, he probably had no idea who this Jesus was. For all he knew, he was just another one of the criminals because this wasn't an uncommon experience. He was just a regular criminal. But he did his duty. He did what he was compelled to do. He carried the cross up. And we don't hear much else about him at that point. He just sort of disappears back into the crowd and goes his own way. But I can tell you this. It's easy to think that this unique experience that he had, this up-close and dirty and bloody and personal experience with Jesus very quickly led to his becoming a follower of Christ. Very quickly, and Scripture bears this out when we talk about it. So you think that he might have been chosen at random, okay? And, and maybe he was, but I don't think things happen at random in the kingdom of God. We do know that very, very shortly after this experience, Simon went back to his region, okay, back again, northern Africa, back to Cyrene. And the Cyrenians, okay, Scripture doesn't record these things, okay, but we do know the results of what happened. Very, very shortly after Simon went back after Passover, because nobody stayed there, they all, after Passover, went back home, the region of Cyrene became very quickly converted to Christianity. In fact, in Acts, it talks about how the Cyrenians 
were actually the very first group of people referred to as Christians. You go back and read the scripture in Acts, I think, do I have the reference? Uh Acts 11.26, if any of you want to take notes of that, it was for the first time where the disciples were called Christians, were the Cyrenian disciples. Another interesting thing about Cyrenians is that there's actually a movement now Base, it's called the Cyrenian Movement, and it's, it's a European thing for the most part, but it's, it's a European movement of people who call themselves either the Simon Movement or the Cyrenian Movement, and their mission is to bear the burdens of those who are not equipped to bear their own burdens. So they pay for health care in some cases. They do outreach for the homeless. They do their mission, again, based on Simon of Serenia, this man right here, going back to that, their mission is to bear the burdens of those who can't do it themselves. And that all comes from the seemingly random choosing of this man who was just a passerby and pressing him into service. Well, this unique experience that Simon had translated also to his kids. Because again, very, very shortly afterwards, they became disciples of Christ. So much so that they are actually, there's, there's some scripture again in Acts and in Romans where those two are listed by name. So his household, his country, his region was entirely changed. And in fact, to this day, is still having influence on parts of the world through one man's being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But our Lord saying, I'm going to take this, and I know that this man can be used. And it's not that Simon said, I want to be a part of this. He wasn't raising his hand. He was unwillingly pressed into service. But God used that. God used that to make changes throughout the entire region, throughout all of Africa. So it's not always our willingness to be used by God. Sometimes it's just our being in the right place at the right time. And we have this confidence in knowing that God is going to use us. How do you think Simon felt when a few days later he saw the resurrected Christ? Like, I saw him. I felt his body. I felt his warm blood on me after bearing this cross. And this man is now resurrected. That is the kind of life-changing experience that creates worldwide change. And guys, we can have that experience with the resurrected Christ every single day. And if we truly had that, you don't have to feel the blood and you don't have to touch the battered and bruised body to have that experience with Jesus. Jesus wants to have that experience with you right now. And if you do, and if you're open to what he can do with it, He'll change your life, and he'll change lives around you. So I want to ask you this. Why do you think Jesus didn't pray for strength and carry his own cross? I mean, Jesus raised people from the dead, right? He healed the blind. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He did all these things. Certainly, he could have prayed to the Father and just said, hey, give me strength to carry my cross, right? But he didn't do that. Did you ever think about that? I mean, first of all, Jesus endured this and he submitted himself to this. 
on our behalf. But then at a critical moment, he allows someone else to step in and help him. That seems counterintuitive if Jesus says, I'm, I'm going through this. This is my path to walk. This is my cross to bear, as we've taught in previous weeks, right? Why at this critical moment then does he allow someone else to come and help him do this? Because he definitely could have prayed to the Father for strength. But here's what he was doing. He was showing us two things. Number one, the value of humility, of understanding we all need help. We all need help from one another. And it's also showing us, see, even in this, when he's walking this path, he's being persecuted, he's on his way to being crucified in a horrible, horrible way. He never stops teaching. He never stops showing us how we are to live and interact with one another. And what he's teaching at this point is that we are to bear each other's burdens. So Simon wasn't forced to bear, to bear this burden. Now, as far as he thought he was, Jesus allowed him to bear this burden. So when we go through things, sometimes we think, why, why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God putting me through this? Okay, it's not that he's forcing anything on you. He is allowing you to experience this. Because it's only in those times when we can have that deep and intimate moment, that experience with our Savior that can change your life. It can change your life and then your family's life and then your region's life. And as we see with Simon, still the ripples of that are being felt all over the world to this day. 2,000 years later, there are still people who remember what he did. So before I go and conclude this, I did this last night and it was so incredibly powerful. We all, if we all think about it, we can probably come up with ways where someone has selflessly bore a burden for us. Where someone has gone way out of their way, voluntarily or not voluntarily, to take a burden from you or to help you bear it. And last night I asked if anybody had any testimonies and wanted to share anything, and we had just such a powerful time that I want to do that again today. So if you're sitting out there, I want to have, Gabe, do you have that mic candy? If you are out there and you have just a, just a short testimony that you can share of a way that someone has selflessly bore a burden for you or helped you bear it, I want to hear from it. Does anybody have something they'd like to share? My husband and I have been going through a hard time financially. Um, I'm like really nervous. <laughs> um, and my boss's wife put my name into like a raffle before Christmas. And I wanted <laughs> so a gift card. So I was able to buy some groceries and like these really big sleeping bags on sale for the kids. And then I have a really good friend who is in my wedding, um, and she just sent me a gift card. So again, groceries went yeah. to that. So I can't wait to be in that position to finally give that back. <laughs> so that's it. That's awesome. Thank you. Art? 
Well, with me, I'm, as I've shared during the men's group, that I'm kind of a loner. I don't really meet a lot of people, but um, God's always, even before I even knew him, has brought people to help me out. It's like when I was, uh, when I went in the Army, I had a, a gentleman there that came out of the blue and start, at first kind of insulted me, but then became a good friend. And he was always there through basic, telling me to get, you know, keep going. And then when I come, came out, I got into the, the job uh, places I've had. Uh, one uh, female uh, supervisor that helped me with, uh, with my temper, helped me with just keeping things going, keeping me with uh, keeping me oh not giving up <laughs> about things. And then I came to the point that I was having a hard time with uh, spelling and oh just writing writing things down and stuff. You know, would would make more sense. Yeah. Well, I had another gentleman that was kind of a supervisor there also that the God brought to, to help me with that with that too of spelling and getting things going with the computer. So, so not even know how to turn a stupid thing on and help me you know, from that to keep you know. God's always just put people in my past. At least those three that I can really remember right now that help me out. That's good. Thank you. Good job. Thanks, Art. Anyone else? Back here. Okay. Got two more. Good morning. My name is John. And uh, back in 1990, I was um, in Philadelphia and had a job offer out here. And I had to move. And uh, the moving company uh, called me, and I had plans to have help. And the moving company called me and said, it's next week or not at all. And it was a issue where uh, we loaded the truck and they were going to take it up. And I had three small children at the time. And um, we, uh, I, I'm going crazy trying to find people to help me. And um, it was just not going on and I had to, Quick, long story short, quick, uh, fast forward to the Sunday night before the Monday. And I've had about my third nervous breakdown. And uh, so I had contacted earlier the, the church that we attended. And uh, that night, I don't know how many people there were. Uh, could, it was the young adults group. It was about, it could have been 10, 20, 30. I don't have any idea. Some of the young ladies, um, took my kids, got them out of the way. And then um, they got there at about six o'clock. Before seven o'clock, the entire contents of my house was moved from the house to the garage uh, on the alley in the back. The following morning, uh, the church, um, or the, the my neighbor who attended the church had a roofing crew put on a new roof. He pulled them off the roof. They hired the driver by six o'clock Sunday night, or excuse me, six o'clock Monday night. We were on our way out here. Follow up to that story. Uh, on Thanksgiving Eve, our church that I attended and uh, has a service where you get up and uh, talk about uh, 
things in, you know, that have happened and where God has provided. And I said, I'm told this story, and I said, anybody ever needs help moving, let me know. Over the past 25 years, somewhere between 80 and 100 families, I've been involved with their move. That's awesome. So we have the head of our new moving ministry right there. Where were we? Over here. I saw another hand. Where was it? There was one more hand someplace. No? Oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. Well, hi, I'm Sherry, and this is just the story how I arrived to Colorado 26 years ago. I was not a Christian. I was a single mom of three. I had a friend in Connecticut that was moving back to Colorado, thought it sounded like a great idea, really didn't think it through, traveled out here with three kids. Um, I was... uh, just freaking out when I got here, thinking, what the heck did I do? I didn't really think this through. Um, I could not get a cosmetology license out here unless I retested, didn't have the money for it. This friend, um, she was originally from Colorado, and she had gone to Mission Hills uh, Baptist Church, And uh, so she went to the church and told them my story. I was struggling. I couldn't pay rent. I didn't have food money. Couldn't pay utilities. I was freaking out. And this church, not knowing me from anyone, um, just gave me the money for my rent, my utilities, my food. They gave me the money to get licensed here. And that's... Uh, it just blew me away, and that's what started my walk with God. And just, you know, I, I was just blown away by that, that strangers that didn't know me would want to help me. And and I'm really grateful to that because now I have a relationship with God. So, yeah. That's great. Thank you. I'm Emily for... Um, those of you who may not know me yet, but um, I just want to just um, give God some glory and um, and just say, you know, I I think of my husband because I was a single mom with three boys and five jobs when we met, and I was I remember I was reading the uh, book of Ruth, and I was like, hey, you know. I pick really bad men. I really like this guy, Boaz. So, God, if you could pick one out for me, send me a Boaz, that'd be great. And um, the next, I think it was the next week, um, Nick and I met at a bar. I thought he was gay, but long story short. <laughs> um, sorry, did I say that in church? Sorry. Um <laughs> But he um, he just, you know, he was there for me at my darkest kind of, I felt like kind of I was in a pit. And um, it was just amazing how God's provided for me and my boys through Nick. And I'm um, very thankful. Thank you, Emily. Anyone else? 
have anything they would like to share? You don't have to. Yep, Brent. Yeah, um, so growing up, I uh, had pretty rough uh, teenage years especially, and um, was involved in a lot of drinking and drugs and things like that. And uh, got to the point, long story, but uh, ended up breaking my neck in a car wreck, drinking and driving. Uh, I wasn't driving, I was passenger, but um, nonetheless, ended up uh, going to AA and had a guy there um, that reached out to me that offered to sponsor me and to take me through the 12 steps where we you know, forgive those that, that harmed us, make amends to those we've wronged, um, and all that. And so he took me through the 12 steps and um, really changed my life. And he was just so generous with his time. And uh, it, it was truly amazing. And, and uh, one of their sayings in that group is expect a miracle. And, and truly, um, I did experience that. And happy to say, um, a week ago today, exactly, it's been 28 years uh, since I've... <laughs> Since I've been sober, and, uh, you know, he, he was a, uh, uh, in AA back then, it was like everyone smoked, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, he ended up, uh, through secondhand smoke, getting lung cancer, and uh, I remember, you know, my last conversation with him, and I'm just trying, how do you thank a guy for that, right, for everything that he's done, and, the, the, you know, bearing my cross, and I started to break up, and he, he stopped me, and he just said, hey, Brent, pass it on. So I feel like I, I need to do the same thing as, as carry somebody else's cross. So, so thank you. That's awesome. Thanks, Anyone else? We have time for another one if someone would like. George? My name is George. I have a son named Giorgio who is uh, 43. He's been on drugs for probably 30 years. And he just keeps on making bad decisions. So anyway, he got arrested in uh, Wyoming for driving fast. The cops checked out his car. There were drugs in the car. It wasn't his, but they arrested him anyway. And he called me and he said, Dad, you got to help me get me $250. Got to get my car. And I said, I don't have it. I said, why don't you pray to God? Oh, Dad, do you really believe that God answers prayers? I said, yes, I do. Definitely. So anyway, he hung up. And then he called me back the next day and said, hey, Dad, guess what? My pastor from uh, Fort Collins bailed my car out and told me I'm going to go back to Fort Collins and live with them. So God answers prayers. That's great. Thank you. So one of the, uh, the worship team can go ahead and, and start heading up. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is that he will use our own strength that we have, the, the ways that he has gifted us to be independent or to be, to be smart or capable. And he'll take those and he'll turn that back and cause us to isolate ourselves. So in every single one of these cases, these people could have said, no, I'll just, I'll just do it myself. I'll just find a way and not be open about asking for help. 
And the enemy wants to do that and he wants to isolate you. I know that there are people in this room who are feeling isolated, like there's nobody to help me. I'm in this by myself. There are people who feel that way. And that is a lie from the devil who wants you to believe that you're in all of this alone. But Jesus shows us right here that no matter where you are, you're not alone. He teaches us that we are to bear one another's burdens. That's what we're supposed to do. And as we come together as a body, as a family, these people, not just this church, the whole church, this is the body of Christ. And we're not to bear our burdens alone. Jesus actually teaches further in Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. This is actually Paul teaching this. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, here's a quiz for those of you who have been paying attention the last few weeks. What is the law of Christ? There's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, we fulfill Christ's law by showing love to one another. It's just that simple. By helping bear someone's burdens, whether it's moving, whether it's a bill they can't pay, whether it's just mental and emotional support, whether it's just being a shoulder that they can talk to. In good times and in bad, that's what we're supposed to be here for. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that kind of love isn't something that just naturally flows out of our flesh. Okay? Our flesh wants to say, I'll take care of myself. And if there's something in it for me, okay, then I'll go. You know, if I'm going to get pizza after the move, then maybe I'll go. Not that there's anything wrong with providing pizza for a move. But if that's your motivation, it's not really loving. It needs to flow from your heart. And that is only possible with Jesus. Jesus gave himself on the cross for us so that we could understand what it's like to live that kind of life and then through the Holy Spirit have the ability to actually let that grow in us and have that spirit rise in us as the flesh decreases. That's what we are after. And so when Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's his promise. If you're in here now and you're carrying a burden that is weighing you down, that is making you tired, that is sucking the joy out of your life, Jesus wants to take that from you. He showed us how. Don't let the enemy tell you that it's weakness to let someone share your burden. It's not weakness. It's what Jesus wants us to do. It's the example that he gave us. And so... Here's how we're going to respond to this message. We have a couple ways. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to prayerfully ask the Lord, what burdens am I carrying right now? What worries do I have? What things do I have on my plate that you didn't put there? Because I guarantee our plates are full of things that the Lord didn't put there. But then just simply ask him, what do I need to set aside? What burden am I carrying that you want me to set aside right now? 
And here's how I want you to respond with that. Pray that through. And when he points, pinpoints something to you, at our crosses, we have little small note cards. I want you to write it on a note card and pin it, literally leave it at the cross, pin it to the cross and leave it there. And myself and our prayer team will take those and we'll pray through that with you. We've also got our prayer team stationed in the back here. If you need somebody just to help you walk through that steps of releasing those burdens so that you're not alone, they're there for you. And then lastly, as you give up your burdens, as you're willing to set aside those burdens, let's celebrate the one who made that all possible. Let's celebrate Jesus by taking communion together. So at the crosses, we have juice and crackers and and bread, and you can serve yourself at the crosses. We'll be up front here with wine and bread, and we would love to serve you. But let's take that as a celebration, as a thank you. Number one, with an understanding of what Jesus went through to get us to this point and to give us this opportunity, but then to accept his offer of laying our burdens down at the foot of the cross. So if we could bring the lights down, let's move into communion right now. And Pastor Jonathan will dismiss when communion is finished.
bless you. Have a great week as you go forth. Spread the love of Jesus everywhere you go. As you go, we're going to just continue with worship in here. So feel free to hang out and just enjoy this peaceful, restful atmosphere. But please connect with folks. Continue those conversations you started out in the foyer. We bless you and have a great week.